The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Welcome to Psych Up Live. I'm your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. And on this show, we'll be turning up the psychological perspective on many life issues. As the former host of Psych Up on Casoso Radio, I joined with terrific guests to host 73 shows. This show is different because it includes you in the conversation. This is Psych Up Live. I welcome you to listen in and feel free to call in with a comment or a question at 1-866-472-5788. You know, in one of the largest surveys to date by the American University Association, which included 150,000 students, 23% of the college women said they had experienced some form of unwanted sexual contact, ranging from kissing to touching to rape, carried out by force, threat of force, or when they were incapacitated because of alcohol or drugs. This sexual violence is actually not that discrepant with the sexual violence we see in the statistics on rape, violent porn, domestic violence, sexual trafficking. In all cases, the most dangerous response is silence. One of the things we've come to understand is that a very important response is the power of male voices joining with female voices to speak up against sexual violence. Our guests today are important voices in that goal. Jonathan Kalin is the graduate of Colby College and the founder of Party with Consent. This is a movement to amplify the healthy voice of sexual violence prevention and healthy masculinity. Jonathan has traveled to colleges and schools across the nation to talk about Party with Consent. You can see his important TED Talk And he's been featured in the New York Times, Time Magazine, and The Atlantic. Michael Pamar has actually spent a lifetime confronting gender-based violence and human rights violations. He is the executive director of Education for Critical Thinking. He's the co-producer of the award-winning documentary With Impunity, Men and Gender Violence, and the author of Violent No More, Helping Men End Domestic Abuse, which is now in its third edition. Michael has served on the Minnesota House of Representatives for 18 years, combating sexual trafficking, human rights, and much more. Dr. Erin Casey, our third guest, is an associate professor of social work at the University of Washington, Tacoma. She's the co-director of the Mobilizing Men for Violence Prevention Research Collaborative, which takes a global perspective on examining effective approaches to proactively enlisting men's participation in gender-based violence. Jonathan Kalin, Michael Paymar, Dr. Erin Casey, it's my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, um, Jonathan, I thought we'd start with you because you are out there as a very visible male voice speaking up against sexual prevention of sexual violence. Now, you tell us a little bit, perhaps, if you could. I know you were a college athlete, the, the captain of the basketball team. You're still coaching basketball. Tell us how you ended up with this mission and a little bit about it. 
Yeah, certainly. Um, thank you for having me on. Um, so uh, the, the story starts when I was a sophomore in college at Colby College up in Waterville, Maine. Um, in the spring of my sophomore year, I was named president of a group on campus called Male Athletes Against Violence and uh, also named captain of the varsity basketball team. And at this time, there was a very um, high-profile high case of sexual exploitation amongst multiple members of the college's football team. And that, that left me uh, as a college athlete in, in a sort of... Um, I, I, I sometimes call the experience being a bit like a walking contradiction, uh, where uh, stereotypically the opposite sides of this debate were the, the male athletes and um, the, the feminist organizations on campus. Um, and so I sort of found myself as not only a member, but uh, a leader in both of those spaces. Um, and so when I talked to the guys uh, in the athletic realm, there was there was a bit of you know uh, this isn't this isn't such a big deal. Why why are people making a big deal of this about this? Why are people being so sensitive to it? Um, but as I examined more, there was there was really um, a lot of uh, just a lack of tools to have a conversation that was anything other than you know humor based or um, based, you know, sort of in, in, in myths around a lot of this stuff. And, and then when I went to the anti-violence conversations where oftentimes I was the only man, if not, uh, um, and almost always the only heterosexual man. Uh, and, you know, I, w- I would hear things and I learned so much from those conversations. Um, but, I, but within, within the frustration fueled this sort of idea also that, you know, all of these male athletes are pigs. So I started to try to think, you know, I'm in this interesting position. It's sort of a, a moment of obligation. What, what um, what could I do in this position that I have to um, begin a conversation about this to sort of see what we're actually talking about rather than just pointing fingers? Uh, and so that ran concurrent with a campaign, if you can call it that, called Party with Sluts, and uh, it was a neon impact font um, tank top that was catching attention on college campuses and. And I asked the guys and the more the, the more athletic guys, you know, what's this shirt about? Uh, and the conversation was like, you know, we want to have fun in college. This is what this is what having fun in college looks like. Uh, and then I talked to the people in the anti-violence space, and it was a very different conversation um, involving discussions about a double standard around sexuality, um, not uh, judging judging women based on their sexuality, amplifying rape culture. Um, and so what, what I thought we could do is what if we could take the uh, form that was catching the attention of college campuses, of students on college campuses, and what if we could use it to amplify something positive rather than uh, something mm-hmm. that some of my peers were considering derogatory. Uh, right. So with that, uh, the movement was born. And at that point, you create T-shirts that say uh, "Party with Consent." Is that? I think you told me. Yep. So the first thing we did is we created a, a batch of tank tops, and I honestly didn't think it would end up being anything more than that. Um, right. But the, the tank tops uh, caught so much attention that um, more and more students wanted them, and more students wanted us to uh, engage with doing something more like throwing throwing our own party. Uh, and then from there, students went home with their tank tops, and students uh, that their friends from high school who went to different colleges uh, started to uh, were curious and wanted to learn more about what this was all about. Uh, and that's how I started uh, traveling to different schools and speaking about um, what party consent is all about. Well, one of the things that that um, we spoke about, Jonathan, when when I first learned about this is that, so if you're at a party and nobody's giving a psychoeducational talk necessarily on sexual violence, but you're wearing a shirt that says party with consent and in a lot of where you look, there are people with party with consent shirts on, that's a kind of very valuable subliminal message because it's dissonant then to kind of think, well, I... 
I'm going to party any way I want or I'm going to party with sluts or I'm going to do anything I want because you've you've sort of sent a message out that really is contradictory to what the party with sluts theme was. So, I mean, from a, from a very important psychological kind of subliminal message point of view, it's a very powerful idea because it's not, it, you said they didn't push back on it. People sort of welcomed it. Yeah, there was, um, there was a lot of excitement about it. Um, with, with the excitement, there, there came a little bit of pushback. Um, mm-hmm. There were some people who donned, you know, party with, and then they drew an out party without consent. I see, um, right. Whole, but what was exciting is how is how promptly um, friends of mine told me, you know, how quickly people sort of said, "Hey, like that that's not within our values." Um, so you know, these it was sort of individuals were sort of uh, presenting themselves as people who thought, you know, all of this stuff around sexual violence was not a big deal, uh, and that was actually engaging the conversation in a way that I had originally uh, hoped it would. Uh, with with people confronting them and just sort of talking about why they why they thought that this was important um, and uh, yeah exactly to your point I mean uh, we we maybe in the early stages thought that like party consent uh, you know as naive college students thought that this could really cause some behavioral change um, but I think a lot of research shows that you know just a, a simple subliminal message like subliminal message like this. Uh, would have to be repeated very, very often to have a, a significant behavior change, but certainly, certainly a cultural one um, mm-hmm. where you know we can sort of engage with students in a way that they that they still feel confident and cool about, um, where they can just have consent parading on their shirt. You know, you you would see the tank tops. Uh, you would start seeing the tank tops in the athletic center. You would see them on nights when we didn't even have party with consent parties. Um, the the message really really st- stuck with um, with a lot of the students, and thus the message became pretty um, repetitive with with our branding. Well, let me ask you this: as you travel from different to different college campuses, and you've been requested to come by high schools, um, what do you think? Uh, what is the message that you're giving to students? Do they say, "Well, what do you mean, party with consent"? Does the question of definitions of masculinity come up? I mean, do people ask you, you know, do people um, confront you personally? What types of things actually occur in the voice that you bring across country? Yeah, so, I mean, connected, connected to the party with consent uh, theme, my, my goal is, is to try as best I can uh, to make my effort interactive uh, in a way that's not sort of the students being you know, talked at. Um, so I, um, I, I really value authenticity. So I really try to, as best as I can, tell the students where I'm coming from uh, and why I think I came to these conclusions, uh, particularly around gender and around sexual violence. Um, and that starts with talking about growing up playing basketball uh, and some lessons around accountability that I learned by playing basketball. Um, also by trying to Get a little, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, clout with some with some of the students to show that I've I've played against some pretty um, high level uh, uh, basketball players that I, that are currently in the NBA, um, and then I move into talking about uh, talking about gender, uh, particularly masculinity, uh, and my experience growing up as an only child, uh, and my father died when I was twelve. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that that's the context that I set to doing some exercises around um, the social construction of masculinity, um, and then from there I talk about you know how I, how confused I was about um, what sexual consent was when I was going to college, uh, and I came to the conclusion that you know ev- everything that I sort of learned about sexual consent came from from movies. So I tried to take some of those quotes from movies. <laughs> uh, and use them as a form of media literacy with the mm-hmm. students when when I'm meeting with them. Nice. Uh, and then finally, yeah. And then finally, I talk a little bit about um, a little bit about the first woman who disclosed to me that she was sexually assaulted when I was on campus, um, and that uh, sort of turned this conversation um, or this this sort of experience of learning about masculinity, uh, and it sort of turned it into one where I could readily see it. Um, 
hurting other people. Whereas before I just sort of saw it on its own. Yeah, men are aggressive, like they're supposed to be this, but I never really understood that it could, uh, it could really hurt somebody. And so, um, that woman's story really played a role in that. And we started to do some exercises on thinking about, you know, the way, the way gender affects, uh, the way we think about partying on a college campus. Um, so those are, those are the, those are the details of what I try to talk about. Um, a lot, of, a lot of times, um, yeah, there's, cer- there's certainly some questions and some idea, like, but really the, the, the important thing for me is not, is not to give, a, a, like, a cut and clear, say, uh, and say, like, you know, this 100% is always what you'll, like, ha- what will result in having consent, um, because uh, that's really, there's certain underlying factors, of course, um, that's really a case-by-case thing, and I'd be lying mm-hmm. if I said I knew it the exact line. Um, but mm-hmm. my goal, my goal is to get students to go from a mindset where, you know, they think that they can, um, they can do something like get somebody drunk to have sex with them and, and to have them sort of re-envision, uh, if that really fits in line with sexual consent, um, or if it's just something that they learned just like I did, uh, from comedies about what, what college life was going to be like. Do you speak in any of this about, we're almost out of time, but do you speak about what a male could say <clears throat> to another male who's questioning him about not scoring or beginning the policing about masculinity, calling him a wimp or, or other derogatory terms? Um, what does a man say if he wants to take a more responsible position and not act into the stereotype? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first, the first thing is, is that the moment, you know, the moment that I learned that masculinity was a social construction, all of a sudden when, when guys said, you know, oh, you're a girl, if you can't forget to finish this beer, all of a sudden, like all of that anxiety, uh, left me because all of a sudden it was, it was, you know, this feeling that, uh, this isn't, this isn't actually a big deal after all. Um, but, uh, I would I would say it's it, it's sort of um, it's the idea that going going about the lifestyle that you choose um, and doing so confidently and doing so in a way that that's not about proving other people wrong. Um, I found in my experience the times the times where I actively tried to um, you know promote something positive because I was angry with people who were doing it very wrong. Uh, I. That, that didn't that didn't result in a, a ton of um, effect in getting in, in supporting those people. So um, you know, in, in the moment, there's there's all sorts of ways to just really um, present yourself as somebody who cares about this um, in a way that's not threatening. Um, <coughs> I realize that gets complex when the other pe- person starts to sort of make it uh, threatening, um, but. Um, but for me, for me, it's about everything that happens outside of that confrontation. So, you know, the moment when somebody starts realizing, hey, you know, I called John a sissy or a wimp for doing all that, but, you know, my, my life is predicated around, you know, getting drunk and trying to uh, get women to sleep with me even once you don't want to. And um, the sort of the the overall idea that like by living a, by living a good life one that's not um, filled with sort of frustration with everybody else um, that's what I found has slowly sort of started to present um, present the value and uh, living out virtues that you can when you don't see um, you know, when you don't see masculinity as such a strong construct. Um, good. Okay, I'm gonna. <clears throat> I'm gonna <clears throat> we're gonna take a brief break, but um, <clears throat> what you're saying is the audience will observe your confidence, whether they agree with you or not, and that in and of itself is a very powerful message. Uh, we're gonna take a brief break. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. Um, we're here and we're talking about male voices <clears throat> to combat sexual violence. We'll be coming back with Michael Paymore, the producer of With Impunity, Men and Gender Violence. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're talking about the importance of male voices in the prevention of gender-based violence. And we're here with, we just heard from Jonathan Kalin, and now we're here with Michael Paymar, who's really, Michael, you've really spent a life confronting gender violence, um, human rights violence. Um, One of the, I mean, you've done so much, but uh, uh, one of the key important things that I know you've done and you've won awards for it is your documentary, with impunity, men, and gender violence. And I wonder if you could share with our audience what brought you to that, what is the goal. It's a, to, uh, People should see this. It's a very, very powerful documentary. Maybe you could share a bit about it and your goal and the, the history behind it also, Michael. Okay. Thank you, Suzanne. And, uh, and thanks to Jonathan. I, I enjoyed his comments. Uh, for someone who's been in the field a long time, uh, it's good to hear uh, the work that he's doing on college campuses because it's, uh, it's real and really important for men's voices to be part of, this, uh, of the discourse if we're going to make any fundamental change. Um, we, uh, my colleague, uh, the late Dr. Ellen Pence, and I, um, produced uh, with impunity men and gender violence back in 2012 and it was on uh, uh, public television and uh, we're in the process of revising uh, the film it'll be out in March and available uh, if people are interested at educationforcriticalthinking.org but what we were trying to do is to um, we we came to the conclusion after working in the field the domestic abuse prevention and intervention field for over 30 years that that the analysis that we had um, uh, had believed was uh, appropriate back in the 70s when the women's movement was really taking this issue on was being lost over the years that um, and we were fearful that there were a lot of psychological theories that were uh, being put out there to try to explain um, gender-based violence. And we wanted to, to develop a, a documentary that would really help us uh, look at rape, sexual assault, domestic violence, sex trafficking, and pornography, and ask a very fundamental question, and that is, will will uh, gender-based violence ever stop if men don't participate in ending it, if men don't give up their uh, sense of superiority uh, and entitlement that they have with women, not just in this country, but globally. And so what we do in the film is we, we talk about all uh, four forms of uh, violence against men's violence against women, and then we go back historically, uh, and, and we want the viewer to understand that this isn't just a, a, a new phenomenon that has come out in the last 20 or 30 years, that men's violence against women has been going on since the beginning of civilization. And so it's not just a problem of a few individual men that, uh, that uh, are raping or battering women, but it's an, it's an extreme social problem that has been going on for a long time. And so what we do is we challenge that notion by talking about what patriarchy means, what oppression means, and, and we 
hoping that through this film that, that uh, men and women and the general audience will understand uh, that, um, that when any one group of people oppresses another, that there has to be some fundamental things in place. You have to sort of believe that you're better than the other person or the other or one group has to believe that they're better uh, than the other group of people. And then they have to objectify uh, those people. Um, uh, they're less than. I mean, all the work that I did in when I was running domestic abuse groups, I mean, the names that, that men would call women, uh, in a way, gave them permission to then assault them and beat them because they weren't, mm. they weren't really Susan or Alice or Jane. They were, mm. they were a bitch. They were a slut. They were a whore. So it became easier to objectify them. And then if you have the ability to use violence, to maintain that kind of structure, you have the power of an oppressor. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a, the basic crux is we wanted people to understand that this is, this is bigger than just a few troubled men that you might read about on a college campus or uh, someone who gets, gets arrested in your community. And ultimately, we think that in order for that to change, the culture has to change. We have to, we have to stand up to the backlash uh, to those of us who, who believe that there can be uh, equal relationships with men and women, and it's a, and it's an, and partly it's up to men to to work with other organizations that are out there that have been fighting for for women's rights for a long time, and and figure out a way in community after community to have these discussions, and that's what we did. We worked with human rights organizations and advocacy, advocacy programs in Minnesota, and now that the film has been out, we are we're, what we're doing is we have a facilitator's guide that goes along with the film where college campuses, military branches, faith-based organizations, community groups can have community dialogues and talk not only about the nature of the problem, but what they can individually do and what they can collectively do to try to change the institutions in their communities to address gender-based violence because the Mm. violence has to stop. It's it's so interesting and so important because you underscore what I think even Jonathan realized that unless we really continue to send a very different message and unless we recognize that, you know, the same kids who crossed out um, with party with consent made it without consent um, are working within the same framework of men who, and I know some of your interesting interviews about women who, it wasn't that this, the man was suddenly violent with them. The same man had been verbally intimidating, verbally abusive, um, withheld money. That's a context in which it's, it's permitted. And so violence often unfolds, as you're saying, from a perspective where no one's going to be insulted if we say party without consult you know, without consent, and it's perfectly fine to call her a bitch on a regular basis in front of the children. So it's that whole fabric that you're trying to address and that I think Jonathan is trying to address also. Well, it, it is, and, and you know, it, he, he's, uh, he's, uh, what he's doing is very courageous in, in many ways. Uh, uh, in, in our film, we trace the life of, uh, of a man who uh, is an army ranger, and he talks about his experiences growing up with an abusive father who uh, seriously beat his mother, and then um, as soon as he was able, he joined the army rangers, and um, all he wanted to do was to fight and to kill and go to war and he became a batterer himself and mm-hmm. um and then was arrested and 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 he went through some fundamental changes when he went through a domestic abuse program and now he's working uh, primarily with uh, vets uh, who have PTSD and who are also um who have also battered their intimate partners. But one thing that he said, which I think really strikes to the core of this, is that it does take a bit of courage uh, for men to stand up to other men and engage men about this issue in a way that, that actually works. 
Uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't make men defensive. Um, I mean, it's it's the same thing that uh, <clears throat> that I, as a white person, have to sort of deal with. Also, is is that if I don't challenge someone making a racist joke or comment or or doing something racist because there's no people of color around me to watch, um, you know, that's sort of an easy way out on my part. And that's what I think a lot of men do is is that mm-hmm. you know if they're not women if there are not women around that will object. To the behavior that's going on, whether it's uh, getting a woman drunk, uh, whether it's buying sex, whatever it might be, um, then they feel, hey, it's okay, or at least no one's going to judge me. But it takes some courage to say, you know, it's not okay with me. Uh, it takes some courage to challenge the men that uh, and the young men who you associate with, and and do it in an effective way that doesn't close them down. So I'm sure Jonathan. You know, has come up to has had to deal with some of that and the work that he's doing. But that I think is a, is a if we're going to change social norms and change the way men think about this issue, they have to develop sort of a critical consciousness about this issue and be willing to take some steps that might be uncomfortable. You know, um, I remember we've spoken before talking about the importance of the important men in people's lives. You know the. Um, the fathers, the coaches, um, the um, the school uh, representatives, the um, those people who are coaching football, those people who kids would never associate with saying, I don't think that's the kind of joke that makes much sense. Um, I think, and, and we're hearing more about some of these masculinity um, programs that are really considering alternative definitions than the dominant aggressive one, um, so that even at a younger age, young men are invited to do what your man in the film does after quite a rough time, and Jonathan uh, is doing what some of the young people he's talking to, which is starting to come to their own definitions. But I, I certainly agree with you that it's very rough, so they need the support uh, they need, you know, the re- they even need the words at times, Michael. I think that they don't even at times have the words. None of us at times have the words to confront these things. No, I think it, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it, it's very difficult to do it, um, and uh, and the, but there are some strategies, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I would imagine Aaron will be addressing some of those. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, I I've come to the conclusion after doing this work for a long time that I used to think you know all that I, all I'm doing is intervention work. I'm working with men after the fact, after they've battered, after they've. Um, after, you know, and, and I, and I used to say that we, we have to figure out a way, uh, to really, uh, provide some effective prevention, pre- prevention strategies. But, but I also think that out of intervention that, um, some of the men who end up young men, uh, there's mostly young men in our groups, um, you know, once they have, um, once they start to change their attitudes, once they start to dig deeper, into their belief system as men, and they can be a very effective change change agents yes. in, in the community. I, I just I just totally believe that, um, and, and in many ways they they can be more much more powerful than I than I am. I mean I I have the language, but I don't have the experience. And so uh, you know, in my book Violent No More, I, I have you know all these stories from men who who went through a tre- uh, tremendous transformation in their lives, and when they speak out. Uh, men listen and so I think there's a lot of ways that we can start to challenge community institutions and and uh, we need to make use of people who are willing to to take uh, to take a chance mm-hmm. I definitely think that's true Aaron I am going to bring you in at this point Dr. Aaron Casey because um, based on you you've done now um, research um, for prevention international research Erin, what would you say in the, in the little time in this segment we have left would be what allows or gives men the impetus? What have you found in your preliminary findings to actually step up? Sure, yeah, and I just want to start by saying thank you for including me in this conversation. It's really lovely to get the opportunity to chat with Jonathan and Michael and you, Suzanne. Um, so my research collaborative, Mobilizing Men for Violence Prevention, has as a goal of sort of looking not just in the U.S., but globally um, at strategies that organizations are, around the world are using effectively to really make 
um, sexual violence and intimate partner violence an issue that men see themselves as being part of the solution to, um, to address. Um, and this is sort of based on previous research that shows that, yes, while um, the majority of perpetrators of sexual assault are men, the vast majority of men would never, ever perpetrate sexual assault. Um, and, and surveys show that men actually really care about this issue. They're worried about this issue. They wish they could do more. They don't always know what they could do. Um, international surveys show that most men support gender equity and think more needs to be done. Um, and so our question is sort of how do we leverage that, to some extent, untapped resource for really pulling whole communities in, you know, to the table around addressing sexual assault. Um, and what we found, we recently did a survey with men around the world who had recently attended a prevention event or who have incorporated violence prevention work into their lives in some way. Uh, and among the things we asked folks is, what motivated you to do that? What, what really precipitated your involvement? Um, and there are a lot of specific reasons that men give, and I'll talk about a couple of those, but not surprisingly, kind of the common theme is that men get involved when they see this as an issue that is personally connected to them, when they make some kind of personal emotional connection to the issue of sexual assault or sexual violence. Um, and that's true for all of us, right? We mm-hmm. yeah. get involved in our communities or in social issues when we are personally impacted or we, we see a personal emotional connection to that issue. Um, so some of the ways that really happens for individual men um, echo the things that, that Jonathan and Michael have said. So folks hear a disclosure from a friend or someone that they love or care about, a girlfriend, a mother, a sister, a partner, um, or hear a moving story about victimization from a survivor in their community or that they relate to or see themselves reflected in. Um, men get motivated to get involved when... Um, someone that they respect or admire really encourages them to do that, whether that's a mentor or a friend they respect. Um, as you said, coaches, uh, parents. Actually, a lot of men say their moms really made this an important issue, which, mm-hmm. you know, for those of us who are, are moms of boys, that's good news. Um, um, some, some men are motivated because of their own exposure to violence, um, either as, as children or folks who've been... Um, exposed to violence or marginalized because of some aspect of their identity, sexual identity or racialized identity. Mm. Um, You know, I I just want to stop you here because it's so important what you're sharing and we're going to have to take a brief break. So let's stop here and come right back with you, Dr. Casey, because I know you're also going to talk to us about uh, bystander programs and some other strategies. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're going to take a brief break. We're talking about male voices, the importance of male voices in sexual violence prevention. Stay with us. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies, and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. 
a professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel. From maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest, at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back. This is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Today we're with Jonathan Kalin, Michael Paymar, and Dr. Aaron Casey. We're talking about Mobilizing men for violence prevention. We've been, we were talking to you, Dr. Casey, and you were giving us some reasons that would really prompt a man to step up and give voice uh, against sexual violence. Now, I wonder, um, was there anything else you wanted to share on that? And can we also talk about some of the programs you've developed and worked on? Sure, absolutely. Um, just to kind of wrap up previous comments, um, and this is something that I think dovetails nicely with what, what Jonathan was talking about. One of the things that we heard from men around the room, or men around the world, is that um, when we asked men what their reasons were for getting involved, they actually gave us, on average, six different factors or motivations that finally prompted them to get involved. Um, very few men said it was just one thing. And so, similar to what I think Jonathan really laid out nicely is that this can't be a one-time conversation or a one-time strategy, um, kind of surfacing and making visible the issue of sexual assault and expectations of respect and consent have to be conversations that happen in multiple ways, in different spaces that we all operate in um, and reflected in different uh, parts of our lives. We all need multiple opportunities to talk about this. Um, because ultimately, I think what, as, as Michael pointed out, what, what is going to shift and end sexual assault is really um, shifting social norms and making very explicit our community norms of safety and respect um, and consent in relationships. Um, so some of the programming that's been developed to try to promote that um, have been efforts to find more concrete ways for people to, to step up and, and make really explicit um, that they value respect and consent. Um, so one of the approaches that's, that's um, emerged over the past 10 or 15 years um, is um, called a bystander approach to sexual assault prevention. Um, there are the, the commonly approach that gets implemented on college campuses, but also happens in high schools and communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bystander approach involves really try to engage all members of the community, certainly men as well, in being able to recognize situations that could lead to a sexual assault or that support norms that support sexually aggressive behavior, and then supporting folks and having the skills to take some kind of action to interrupt those, those moments mm-hmm. or to interrupt disrespectful behavior. Um, and some people call this an upstander approach, that instead of being by, passive bystanders, people see themselves as upstanders who can take some kind of concrete action. Um, now, do those programs involve giving people some of the techniques or language they would use to be a bystander, Erin? 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, as you said earlier, giving people the words or strategies that they need and helping people think pretty broadly about all the different ways they might disrupt a situation that could lead to a sexual assault, that it, it's you know, certainly important to try to speak up and intervene and maybe kind of call someone out on disrespectful behavior, but you can also take actions like enlisting other folks' help in interrupting a situation or creating mm-hmm. a distraction or proactively, you know, starting conversations about respect and healthy relationships. Um, and so th- there's um, several programs out there. Of the Green Dot Program out of the University of Kentucky, um, the Bringing in the Bystander Program out of the University of New Hampshire, uh, the Mentors mm-hmm. in Violence Prevention Program, which um, has started by Jackson Katz and colleagues, um, have shown some um, some really promising findings in terms of being able to really encourage folks to increase their willingness and their actual the likelihood of them intervening or speaking up when they hear something disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, but as you say, even raising people's consciousness of the the possibility of being a bystander, and then in some way um, you're saying the language or techniques makes the possibility greater and makes not doing it that much more dissonant in terms of why did I not say something, you know? And if you didn't or if they didn't interfere or distract, it may be the next time. I mean, I, I love what you're all saying in terms of this has to be a message that does not stop so that we all keep thinking, you know, why don't we try? Why didn't, you know, so that it becomes built into the fabric of responding. Right. Yeah, and I think um, another kind of important dynamic is going on here that that is important to make explicit, and, and that's that, you know, research shows that most individuals, including most men, really value support, uh, consent and respect in their relationships. Um, but we're all kind of bad estimators at what other people think. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it turns out that, that men tend to believe that other men um, value consent less than they actually do or that other men are having a lot more sex than they actually are. And so there's actually mm-hmm. misperceptions of what's normal out there that, that then makes it harder to step up and, and say, you know what, actually, I don't appreciate that joke or um, that that's not not cool Um, because a lot of men are thinking I'm the only person in the room that believes this Mm -hmm. Um, and so some of the community-based strategies for violence prevention are really designed to make the actual norms of respect that the vast majority of folks hold more visible so that people know hey if I say something in this situation the reality is most of the other guys in the room are probably going to be relieved that I said something or agree with me, it's, or maybe even... It's such a in. good point. It's such a good point about the misperception, especially of young men. I know you and I have talked about that, you know, that, that one study where most young men thought everybody was having sex over the weekend, and when they actually looked at the statistics, not only were, not, were they not, they didn't even have that much in the four years. So, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that, you know, you might want to think that you're not the only one in the room is a really big... Um, incentive to daring to speak or change the scene or do something. It's such a good point. So I'm wondering um, if you, I, I want to open this up to all, all of our guests now, based on some of the suggestions that Erin's making, what take-home message would you give if you were at a college campus or even to our listeners right here? What's the take-home message you would give in terms of speaking up against sexual violence. Jonathan, what would you say? Hi. Um, I, I mean, in, in talking it, so, sort of right in line um, is um, the, the idea of just sort of uh, when we're talking about this as, uh, you know, changing cultural norms, um, and challenging gender roles, I would particularly say, you know, to men who feel uncomfortable, and even, and even to women, uh, this the the adage for me going through college is the the um, idea of do you, 
and just the you know the be be yourself. Uh, don't don't allow sort of these pressures and anxieties um, that that manifest um, that you know force you make you feel like you're going to be um, labeled as an outcast or something if you if you step up and do something um, or these um, challenging ideas if you do something that's considered um, you know not not cool and keeping and keeping in line the sort of typical narrative of uh, of what's happening um, the the people who are confident in what they believe is uh, right and the truth um, and don't and don't sway that's that's going to be a really powerful um, way to shift shift the culture on something that's so okay. uh, culture based okay. on college campuses. Okay. How about you, Michael? Well, we have just a little bit of time. What would you send as a as a take home message? Well, I, I would just say that uh, you know I agree with what Aaron was saying, but I but I also think that it's you know I also think we need to go a, a step deeper. I mean, it, it, it's it's. Um, there is this sense of entitlement that I think all men, I mean, we're all part of this system where men have privilege. And, and I think if men don't start examining that on a personal level uh, and collectively, that it becomes uh, difficult to really promote and uh, figure out social change strategies. So, uh, you know, it, it, it goes uh, beyond uh, challenging men. I mean, as... as as long as men feel like you know they're entitled to to buy sex, for instance, uh, to uh, in to click on their computer and watch the most violent pornography right. because nobody's watching. I mean, you have all of these things that are really uh, part of this whole sense of entitlement that that men have vis-a-vis women. And so I think I think it's a, it's a broader issue. And I think even even the good guys us out there, as I would say. Need to okay. need to go deeper and really and okay. really question our own thinking about uh, who we are in society as, uh, in relation to women. Okay. okay. In the interest of time, I'm sorry to cut you off. It's such a valuable comment. I want to thank all of you for coming on. I think the message you sent today was a gift to this mission and to our listeners. I want to thank our listeners. Um, don't miss next week. We'll be speaking to Dr. Ken Carter on sensation seeking and thrill taking. But for now, I, I invite you to listen to any of our former shows and this show, if you didn't catch it now, on, on the website, as a podcast, on iTunes. Be listening next week, and thanks for today. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.